Welcome to the podcast of Medora Pentecostal Church. We are a growing community of believers committed to bringing hope and building lives. We pray today's message is a blessing to you. We're going to the book of Romans chapter 11. And we're going to pick up the narrative at verse 29. Romans chapter 11 and verse 29. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. For as ye in times past have believed God, yet have now obtained mercy. You have not believed God, yet now have obtained mercy through their unbelief. Even so have these also not believe, now not believe, that through your mercy ye also may obtain mercy. They also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Continue reading in chapter 12 and verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Each of these verses are powerful and could be a message within themselves. But I want to look at one statement from chapter 12, verse 1. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I want to talk to you tonight on this thought, redefining reasonable. Redefining reasonable. Heavenly Father, we come before you in this house. Lord, we give you praise. We give you thanks, O oh Lord, for all you've done, for how, Lord, you have moved in our church during this time, O oh God, of quarantine, during this time, Lord, that we have been in our homes and there's been all this mess with the crisis of corona. But, Lord, we are reminded again today that you're greater than corona. You're greater, Lord, than any disease. You're greater than any issue. And we give you praise today for you are an awesome God. You're an awesome God. The Lord bless you and be seated here at home, wherever you may be. I want to say before I get into the word, and I'll mention this again Sunday, but how, how awesome is it to have such a great media staff that has done a tremendous job and a worship team that's done a tremendous job, amen, throughout this time. I want to talk to you about worship just for a few minutes. How many know that you were made, I was made, we were created to worship? 
every living thing. The Bible says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Everything that, can, that contains life has been created to worship the Creator. People of faith will readily agree to this from all points, depending on denomination, depending on affiliation, depending upon their foundation of understanding of truth. But let me just put this very clear to us today. Worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is not an option. It's not something that we do as a side part of our relationship with God, but worship is vital and important. Worship is more than a style. It is more than a genre that plays on your iTunes list. Worship is more than form and fashion. Worship is designed to be a life-changing, soul-renewing, heart-molding encounter with an almighty God. Worship is meant to usher us into his holy presence so that we can be transformed by that presence. In worship, we stand before the throne of God and we give him the praise and the glory that is due his name. I wonder for just two seconds here if you would take some time and do that. Let's give him the praise and the glory that is due his name. Hallelujah! The primary purpose of worship is not that we leave that with a feeling of enjoyment or euphoria, though we may, but that we leave changed in his presence by his power. Worship is essential in an encounter with God. We understand that the Word of God has a vast amount of information about worship. Amen. I realize that there are many opinions when it comes to praise and worship methods and styles. They're, they're limitless by even culture or subculture. It's different in the north than it is in the south. Amen. But it is sad that worship has become a battleground for some. That people fight over styles that they fight over methods, that they fight over programs and how it is presented. Amen. I believe that it is possible, though, to worship God and be out of order because there are some that try to worship him according to their, their design and their thoughts. It is possible to attempt to worship God on our terms. Jesus rebuked Satan for an approach to worship that was unbiblical. We find that, that God rejected Cain's sacrifice and accepted Abel's sacrifice of worship because one was favorable to God and one was not. Nadab and Abihu died when they offered strange fire before the Lord. It is very important that we approach God with the right intent and the right heart and even the right manner in which we began to praise the Lord. I believe that sometimes we have attempted to be relevant and we've often confused relevancy with being cool. The problem about being cool in our worship is that cool goes out of fad real quick. And what was cool yesterday is not cool today. But if that 
is what is predicating our worship, then our appetite is wrong. Our appetite is meant then to be relevant and not revelatory with the Lord. But don't get hung up in the dynamics of people's styles and, and how they're going to praise the Lord. Don't get hung up in that, but seek to find a way to glorify God as the psalmist said, give him glory that is due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The message paraphrase says of that verse, be in awe before the glory, in awe before God's visible power. Stand at attention. Dress your best to honor him. I believe that that's more than just an external dress. That is a heart dress. Amen. It's, a, it's an attitude dress. Worship is not about us. Worship is not about us. And I'm not just talking about what we do in a pew or what we do in a, a service of worship, but rather it's about our life ought to be lived in such a way that we are giving him glory throughout the day. That's worship. The psalmist said we are to praise him according to his excellent greatness. The greater God is to you, the bigger God is to me. And the more we see him, the more relevant our worship will be. The more reverent our worship will become. Our level of worship will never rise above the vision and the, uh, uh, the wonder of which we see God. The bigger God is, the bigger our worship ought to be. The greater God is to us, the bigger our worship ought to be. Just ask the lame man at the gate beautiful that after he was healed God all of a sudden became so huge to him that he was now walking and leaping and praising God the psalmist said blessed is the man Psalm 65 and 4 blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee that he may dwell in thy courts and shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. Blessed is the man that gets to come into the worship of the Lord. Blessed is that man that comes before the presence of God. It's a privilege wherever you are, whether it's at service in a building, or whether it's been during the live stream at your home, or whether it's in your car, or whether it's on your job. Blessed is the man who has the privilege to come into the presence of the Lord with worship amen so we ask ourselves what does worship look like when you begin to look at scripture worship looks like Noah building an ark to the saving of his family worship looks like Abraham offering his son Isaac at Mount Moriah. It looks like David dancing before the ark and Paul and Silas singing and praising God in prison or the woman with the alabaster box that breaks it before the Lord and pours it upon him. Worship looks like the widow woman that, 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 that took her two mites to the temple and gave it as an offering to God. Amen. Worship is number 10 leper returning to Jesus and falling at his feet and praising him him. If you look at these instances, not a one of them happened in a typical church service, but rather in a way of life. 
In our text tonight, Paul said in that familiar passage of Scripture, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, a holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Is there's, if there's a verse you ought to commit to memory, it ought to be this. Let me tell you what the NIV reads about it. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is your reasonable act of worship. So I begin to begin to do some digging. What does reasonable worship look like? If you look within the context of what people think reasonable is today, you will find that reasonable worship then would be sensible worship, judicious and prudent worship, proper worship, appropriate and acceptable worship. Amen. I, I, I look at this word reasonable and you go down this road and you, you look at the defining of the word reasonable. It means something that's sane, something that's fair, credible, moderate, normal, Discreet and adequate. And when we look at the word, we think of something that is sensible, fair, and open to opinions. One man said that being reasonable means that, that you ought to have these qualities. For a reasonable person determines things by inductive reasoning. A reasonable person. He said that a reasonable person, I didn't know who to give this tribute to or I would, a reasonable person should be able to see both sides of the issue. A reasonable person should have an open mind. A reasonable person has the ability to be sensible to things. Many have approached their worship with this philosophical understanding of reasonable. I'm going to worship what is sensible. I'm going to worship what seems to be fair. I'm going to pick my understanding of worship and say, I'm going to come before the Lord with what? What is my reasonable worship? I think it's time we redefine that. I believe it's time we re-examine that. Reprioritize the concept of reasonable worship. Paul begins by saying, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. My dad used to teach me that whenever you find the word therefore, you need to stop and see what it's therefore. It's a good hermeneutic process to stop and pause and say, okay, what's the connection? When we begin to look at the layout of the context of, of this chapter 11 and chapter 12, the chapter divisions between 11 and 12 tend to mislead us a little bit because chapter 11 and into chapter 12 are the same thought. Paul is in the middle of a thought and he's teaching in this verse that this therefore goes back to something that he previously had stated. So we need to go back and find out what, what is the therefore. Amen. Therefore, in this instance, it's transitioning the reader from chapter 11 of doctrine and truth to chapter 12 of practical principles and application of those truths. Therefore, 
therefore here moves one from the principle then to the practice, from the belief to the behavior, from the theology to the duology. Amen. Chapter 11, Paul is filling us in the understanding of God's foundational doctrine of who he is. Go back to Romans 11 with me. Verse 29, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. For as ye in time past have not believed God, ye have now, ye yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. What is he saying? The obedience of the Gentiles and the disobedience and the unbelief of the Jews opened a way to mercy that Gentiles did not have before. They did not have the access. And God said the gifts and callings are without repentance. And so God had to have a plan that how is he going to take his people known as the Hebrews and then graft in, cut them off and graft in the Gentiles that do not belong in the category of obtaining mercy verse 32 for God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all amen here's the text that he's talking about here's the context of if we look a little closer mercy is extended to the Gentiles that caused them that were once the heirs of promise and the seed of Abraham to be bypassed by their unbelief and he goes over them to a bunch of Gentiles around the world so that everybody can have the promises, spiritually speaking, of Abraham. And now we have the mercy of God. And by that action, God then gives Jews the opportunity to have that same mercy if they follow the same truth. Look a little closer, a little deeper into this text. Look at the depth of what he says. Oh, the riches of his wisdom and knowledge. Oh, the marvel of his omniscience, his all-knowing. Oh, the wonder of his plan-making, his overall plan. Have have you ever seen anything like his plan-making? Have you ever seen a wisdom that is over our heads and beyond us? His authority, amen, to pass legal verdicts is unmatched. He can say, Jews because of your unbelief Gentiles are in but yet there is still room for mercy for you look at his plan his ways Paul said are past finding out his plan his purpose his dealings cannot be charted by a human GPS human reasoning cannot comprehend his actions who can predict what he will do who can explain how he will do it Commentator Ray Stedman put it like this. This is what Paul is speaking of. He says that man continually tries to thwart God's will and to escape his control. But God takes the very plans that are made to defeat him and uses them to accomplish his purpose. How are you going to win with a God like that? He has an unfair advantage in this game of international chess today. And it is only necessary for us to remember that to have a sense of peace of heart about what is going on. I want to tell you, we can look at at Corona. We can look at the Middle East. 
East. We can look at the United States. We can look at all around the world. He's still the master of the sea. He's still the master of nation. He is still the grand weaver that puts people together, that puts things together. He is the all-knowing, blow-your-mind kind of God. He is unmatched. He is all-compassing. He stands alone by himself. Who had first given him, Paul says, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. When you begin to look at the therefore, this is what he's talking about. The mercy of God that reached to the Gentiles and saved the Gentiles. The mercy of God that also allows a Jew and everyone now to come under the plan of redemption. Nobody can tell God what to do. He does it on his own. Everything is of him. Everything is through him. Everything is to him. All things to whom be glory forever. Then he says, I beseech you, therefore. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren. Paul is saying, I beg you in view of all the mercies of God. (laughs) Make a decision, the Amplified says. Of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. Think about it. Mercy is the motivation. Mercy is behind the motivation. When you begin to look at Romans and Paul's writing, when you consider the breakdown of the chapter, it is chapter 12 that starts a, a new thought process of what Paul is talking about in the whole layout of things. A transition from chapter 1 to chapter 11 and through chapter 11 he has given to us the mercies and the doctrine and the truth of regeneration. He's given us the mercies and the understanding in chapter 1 that God is a holy God and he confronts and condemns sin. Amen. He tells us that also sinners can be justified by grace. He teaches us in these chapters that we are dead to sin and alive to Christ. (laughs) We are adopted into God's family according to his doctrine. We are under the power of grace and not under law according to his teaching and how that we have the indwelling of the Holy Ghost inside of us. Amen. He teaches us about the peace and reconciliation we have with God and that there is therefore now no condemnation condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. In these chapters, he tells us about a a future home in glory that we're going to have. He tells us about uh, there's no separation from God and his presence for those that love the Lord. Amen. It talks about the confidence that we have in God's faithfulness. uh, And uh, and his faithfulness to Israel shows us uh, his faithfulness to us. Hallelujah. So Paul, after providing 11 chapters of founding doctrine, he gives them now practical application. He takes them and says, I'm going to show you truth. I'm going to show you that God rules over every nation. I'm going to show you that God hates sin but loves the sinner and will redeem the sinner and justify the sinner by faith. Amen. That we are justified. He tells them about the gospel of the kingdom. He talks to them about the favor of the Lord. And then he says, therefore, present your bodies, yield your bodies, Surrender your bodies. 
Place your body at his disposal. Amen. <clears throat> Make your body available and accessible to God. I want to ask you today, does, does God have control of your worship or do you? Does God have control of your worship or do you? Are you standing today saying, Lord, I'm willing, I'm ready, I'm able to present my body. He didn't say present your life. He didn't say present your emotions. He didn't say present your will. He said present your body. Why? Why? Why is it so important? Because our body represents the totality of our being. Not just our emotions. Not just our soul or our spirit. But our body is the embodiment, if you please, of who we are. And it is our body that's sinned. It is our body that messed up. Yes, it began in our heart, but it's our flesh. It is the close thing that we have to our humanness. Our body speaks of our humanness. Amen. It is with our bodies that we have been, we have been sinners, but God transforms us. And now he says, I've given you grace. I've given you justification. I've given you mercy. I've given you my love. I've saved your soul. I urge you then to present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable on God, which is your reasonable worship. Our bodies, the totality of our person, ought to be the makeup of our worship. Not just in church where we sit or where you sit, but on the job, at home, in the car, we're worshipers. Why? Therefore, therefore, from Romans 1 to 11, therefore, therefore, the truth tells us that we are redeemed. The truth tells us who we are and who God is. First Peter 2 and 5 says, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Worship is not just about your mind. It's not just about your spirit. Pastor, I can't be there, but I'll be there in spirit. Lord, I would. My spirit indeed is willing. But my, my flesh is weak. We are to offer up our bodies a living sacrifice. Hebrews 13 and verse 15, that familiar passage of scripture that says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, but to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. And so he teaches us, Paul does, that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, which is our reasonable worship. Now let's look at what the Bible calls reasonable. Not what society says is reasonable. Not what our flesh says that is reasonable. But what the word of God is telling us. Logikos is the Greek word here. That means the reasoning faculty, something being reasonable or rational. And when you begin to study it, the sacrifice is to be intelligent. Intelligent in contrast to ritual. 
You can put your body through the emotions, but you, you got to connect your thinker to your body for it to be reasonable in God's eyes. All right? This word logios comes from, as you can imagine, the word logos. Logos is the word of God. Logios is the adjective of the noun form logos. And so what what the word of God is saying is that our reasonable worship, if we're to define what reasonable is, then we've got to go back to the therefore and see what the word has to say. You see, what defines reasonable worship is not style, it's not the uh, the genre, of worship. It's not to wor- the building. We have learned that in Corona. We have learned that worship, reasonable worship is, I'll praise him in the car. I'll blow my horn. I'll praise him in the car. I'll praise him in my house. I'll lift my hands while I'm working. I'm going to praise the Lord because it is reasonable connected to the word. This is the same word, logios, that is found in 1 Peter 2 and 2 where it says that as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. The verse reads like this, the logical, unadulterated word of God, the pure word of God. My worship needs to be built not on my emotions, not on a beat, not on a feeling, not on just a service time but my worship must be reasonable when it is built upon the sincere word of God what God tells me to do what God speaks in my heart to do what's reasonable worship makes no sense to tell a man called Noah build an ark to the saving of your family but God said it's reasonable Daniel, go ahead and pray three times a day. You're going to go to the lion's den, but that's just reasonable worship. That's just reasonable worship. Abe, why don't you and Sarah celebrate your 100th around 100th birthday by telling everybody you're going to have a boy? You're crazy. No, you're just looking at a different reason. The reasoning of man says it's got to be sensible. It's got to be balanced out. It's got to be bouncing opinions off of, of something else. Moses, why don't you raise your rod? Why don't you lift up your rod? And God is going to blow with a mighty wind. And he's going to part the Red Sea. Why don't you do that act of worship, Moses? Amen. Why don't you take five loaves and two fishes? And feed 5,000 doesn't make sense. But God often causes us to be like Joshua. March around Jericho. What do you want me to do? March around Jericho until the last day. You're to shout. It doesn't make sense. I want to tell you, we need to redefine reasonable. We need to redefine reasonable. It's reasonable worship. For Naaman, the leper, to go dip seven times in muddy, ugly Jordan. And he comes out with skin like a baby. It's reasonable worship. It's reasonable worship. It's reasonable worship for the woman to be told, the widow woman, by the prophet, give me a cake first. And you won't die. Just give me a cake first. I want to tell you that we have defined reasonable 
worship by hype. Holy Ghost, we call it Holy Ghost hype. It's nothing but emotional hype. Emotion is not the reason for our worship. Doctrine is the reason for our worship. Here's what this world is missing today. Uh, when you begin to talk about doctrine, everybody goes, boring, teaching, boring. But what they don't realize is that doctrinal teaching is the therefore to your worship. I want you to get this. Doctrinal teaching is the foundation to true lifting hands and worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Because if I don't know his mercies, I can't worship him in that way. For Jesus said it to the woman, amen, at the well, that the Father is looking for such that will worship him in spirit and in truth that's reasonable truth is a reason for my worship today truth is the reason for your worship today the word of god reasonable worship is the response to the revelation of truth that we we have so we offer up our bodies a living sacrifice you look at somebody that doesn't wear certain things and you think they're crazy. You look at somebody that doesn't eat certain things and we think they're crazy. Somebody that doesn't go certain places and we call them crazy. No, it's because they got some doctrine in them and then have a revelation, a personal revelation that says it's reasonable for me not to eat, not to go, not to wear. It's reasonable for me because it's my act of worship. The way you communicate your act of worship, reasonable. Let's redefine it. Thank you. Keith Carell made this quote, made this statement. I'm going to quote him. He said, if you weigh all that God has done in mercy in the light of who you were as a sinful, hopeless enemy of his righteousness, the only reasonable response is to lay your life on the altar for him. Reasonable worship is all in because the word. Reasonable worship is all in because of the word of God. When you consider the world that we live in and you look around you and you see a bird that starts singing. It might be pretty, it might be some of these birds around here. They... they, they <laughs> They don't need to join the choir. They're pretty bad. But what are they doing? What they were made to do. What they were made to do. Are you and I doing what we were made to do? Amen. I want them to come to the music. Are we doing what we were created to do? When we lift our hands in daily life, when we shout and rejoice and no one is around, when we praise him in the middle of our storm, when we live out our lives pleasing to him, when we obey his voice at the expense of our own flesh, we're exhibiting reasonable worship. Reasonable worship. Hallelujah. I think that sometimes we put God in our reasonable box and we say, you want me to give what? Nah, that's not reasonable. You want me to give up this? Nah, that doesn't make sense. That's not reasonable. 
And God says, I want you to do what for flesh looks unreasonable, looks crazy, radical and crazy, because I'll provide for you. I'll provide for you. Today, I think it's time to redefine reasonable. Thank you for joining us today. We pray you have been encouraged. If you would like more information about Medora Pentecostal Church, you can check out our website at www.medorachurch.com. Set